Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning and happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, Today, we look at one of the most striking and unusual interactions Jesus ever had with a mother. Actually, it's probably the most uh, strange interaction he ever had with anyone, Uh, but she happened to be a mother. Uh, It's a passage of scripture that puzzles a lot of people. Uh, This is what's written in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Okay, so be honest. Don't you think Jesus seems kind of rude here? Uh, You might be thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to think something like that about Jesus. Well, let me explain a little bit about what's going on in this passage. Uh, Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. And there's not another passage that more effectively shows the absolute brilliance of Jesus as a teacher. And I need to set this up before we walk through this passage. There are several things that characterize a great teacher, and Jesus displays a lot of them in this passage. A great teacher is more interested in life change than in dispensing information. Uh, A great teacher uh, doesn't just lecture. Uh, He or she creates experiences for people. A great teacher knows that truth is more powerful when people work to discover it. A great teacher knows that truth discovered has a much deeper impact than truth just presented. And we all experience that. A great teacher is able to uh, teach more than one person or group at a time. They teach different groups on different levels at the same time. A great teacher uses methods that are not always clear to the students at the time. Uh, For instance, Jesus was an expert at using what Walter Wink called deliberately induced frustration with his disciples. Uh, He tells them once to uh, feed a crowd when they don't have enough food. I mean, just a few loaves and fish. Uh, He tells them to cast out a demon that they were not able to cast out. Uh, He puts them in a boat one day and a storm is coming. Uh, Deliberately induced frustration in the hands of a great teacher is a powerful learning tool. And great teachers are always testing their students to help them see where they are on the learning curve. And this passage is not only about a great teacher, this passage is about the master teacher. Uh, Ken Bailey, a New Testament scholar, 
has written very insightfully on this interaction Jesus has with this woman. And he says to grasp the point of this passage, we have to see that Jesus is giving a test here for two different sets of people. He gives a test to his disciples and he gives a test to this Canaanite woman. And we'll see who passes and who fails. All right, let's look back at the text, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus gets away for some rest with his disciples to a region to the north. They're in foreign territory. Uh, Tyre and Sidon are two Phoenician cities on the Mediterranean coast, up above where uh, the Israelites live. And now keep in mind, the Israelites despise these people. It's important to remember this to understand the context of this story. A Jewish historian, Josephus, who uh, wrote roughly in the time of Jesus, wrote, the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemies. I mean, these are the Israelites' bitterest enemies. To see how badly they're regarded by the Jewish people, uh, look with me at another passage in Matthew eleven twenty. Jesus had performed miracles in the towns of Galilee uh, among the Israelites, but the people didn't respond much. And this is what Matthew, the writer of scripture says. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been, had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Now, why does he use Tyre and Sidon? He's saying, even the most wicked people you think you know, even Tyre and Sidon, the bottom of the spiritual barrel, they would have repented if they would have seen the miracles you saw. The point is this woman who is from this region would be regarded by the disciples as an enemy, a member of the most spiritually degraded people they knew. All right, let's look back at Matthew 15 now. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. This woman comes to Jesus with the traditional cry of a beggar, have mercy on me. Uh, she humbles herself and adds the title Lord. Uh, notice how that title is repeated throughout the story. She also calls him the son of David, which means she knows something about Judaism. She's deeply respectful. And then the writer says in verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. This woman's daughter is suffering terribly. And so she appeals to Jesus with humility and reverence. And he acts like he doesn't even hear her. He responds with silence, which would look like indifference or rejection. And you'll notice the writer, Matthew, doesn't try to hide this. He deliberately draws our attention to it in the text because Matthew knows what we don't know yet. He knows how the story will end. He knows this is a test. And for now, he wants us to wrestle with whatever it is Jesus is up to. Now, the woman could walk away at this point. Uh, she's decided in the face of Jesus's silence, she has to decide, like, how deeply do I want healing for my daughter? How much am I willing to trust this man? And this is part one of her test. All right, we're going to leave her 
for a moment and look at the disciples because Jesus is going to give them a test too. Uh, The disciples are not surprised that Jesus doesn't talk with this woman because no self-respecting rabbi in their day would. Uh, This is a rabbinic saying from ancient times. He that talks with womanhood brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at the last will inherit Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna is a reference to hell. I mean, this is an ancient uh, rabbinic teaching from, from that day. And so the disciples are not surprised by how Jesus treats this woman. Jesus deliberately ignores this woman, but Jesus is watching to see what the disciples will do. Do they understand that he came to make the kingdom of God available to everyone, including Gentiles, including women? Do they get it? Do they understand yet what he came for? Their response comes in verse 23, and they're confident their words will meet with his approval. They say, send her away. (laughs) Look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Send her away. She keeps crying out after who? Us. She hasn't said anything to the disciples, has she? Who's she there for? She's there for Jesus. But the disciples rather generously include themselves in Jesus's power and ministry. She's bothering us. You know, we came up north for a little R&R. Everyone wants a piece of us. So Jesus, you send her away. It reminds me of the story of the gospel in the gospels when uh, the children come to Jesus. Do you know what the disciples' response was? The text says they rebuked the children. The disciples thought they understood what kind of people Jesus did and did not have time for. Well, we'll see if they're right. Jesus goes on to part two of the test. He's talking to his disciples here, and the woman comes up. The disciples say to him, she's bothering us, send her away. And so Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why does he say this? In other places, he makes it clear that he came for the whole world, that he's not willing that anyone should perish. So why does he say here, the lost sheep of Israel? because he's testing the disciples. Remember, good teachers don't just give lectures and hand out information. They know uh, experience is a much more powerful teacher than just presentation. And so Jesus doesn't simply give the disciples a lecture about negative attitudes. He tried that after the disciples shooed the children away. The lecture method isn't working with them so well. And so the disciples need some uh, remedial help. Uh, They're not doing very well on the kind of people Jesus has time for. And so Jesus appears to agree with them. Of course, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of her. I'm sent to Israel, God's favorites. We don't have time for these Gentile, female, like second rate riffraff. You know, good call, guys. I'll send her away. But you notice he doesn't send her away. He doesn't do what they ask. He appears to agree with them. But then he watches to see how will they respond? Will anyone dare to disagree? Does anyone have the guts to stand up for this woman? And of course they don't. They all nod their head. That's right, send her away. Now, simultaneously, the woman goes through part two of her test. She hears what Jesus is saying. A picture of this scene. Jesus is talking to and facing his disciples. Uh, His words, in effect, say to her, 
you're an outsider. I'm the son of David. I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. You're not my mission. Why should I serve you? And the question here is, is her concern for her child so deep? Is her confidence in Jesus's compassion and power so strong? Will she persevere in her request despite the obstacles, even when Jesus seems unwilling? I imagine she can hear the cries of her daughter in her mind. She has nowhere else to go. And so she kneels on the ground in a posture of reverence and humility. Notice what Matthew says in verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. I mean, this is the the cry of the human soul. Lord, help me. She doesn't understand it all, but a second time she calls him Lord. Now the disciples are watching. The tension starts to build in them as Jesus knew it would because their theology tells them this woman is to be shunned and rejected and ignored. Uh, They themselves would say just the same thing that Jesus said. And yet something inside them begins to be moved. I mean, this is the cry of a desperate mother for a beloved daughter who is in physical and spiritual agony. I mean, it could it possibly be that God is bigger than their theology? You see, this encounter is striking at beliefs and prejudices and junk that is so deeply embedded in them that it will not get rooted out all at once. It'll take a long time, but a seed is planted here. And you know, that seed will be fully grown and harvested in the book of Acts, when Peter sees the Holy Spirit fall on a Gentile named Cornelius, another centurion, and Peter says, now I realize. And the implication was, now at last I realize it's true. God has no favorites. He accepts human beings from every nation. But that won't happen until after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And when it finally clicks, Peter will say, now at last, Now I understand, but he's not there yet. The disciples don't get it yet. And so Jesus speaks again. He had been speaking to his disciples and the text says nothing about his turning around at this point. I mean, this is the way that I think about it. Uh, it, it'll, It'll help to get this dynamic of the story if you picture Jesus still looking at his disciples. He's still watching their faces. He's still testing. Verse 26, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, the meaning of this statement was very clear. I mean, who are the children? The Israelites. Who are the dogs? The Gentiles, like this woman. You know, dogs in the Middle East were despised animals. They were scavengers and garbage eaters. Not, you know, not the way we think of dogs in our society. They were considered almost as unclean as pigs. I think, that what's, I think what's going on here is Jesus is forcing the disciples to face themselves. I mean, he says to them, in effect, you want me to get rid of this woman? You want me to limit my ministry to Israel? Okay, I'll do what you ask. You just watch her. Listen to the cries of her daughter. And then he gives voice to their theology. You know, it's one thing to have contempt for someone behind their back. It's quite another to hear the ugliness of your thoughts and feelings expressed out loud before real human beings. Will any of them speak up for this woman? Will one of them love her? Not this day. 
Not one disciple gets it. And this is the end of their test. There will be other tests in days to come, and they will do better. They're still learning, uh, but they don't get it this day. You know, maybe you're in the middle of a test right now. Maybe Jesus is giving you a test. Maybe it's the same test that he was giving the disciples. I would call it the love test. Maybe there's someone in your life you're having a hard time loving in an authentic way. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone you're in a group with. Maybe it's someone you're serving on a team with. Maybe, as with the disciples, it involves a whole group of people that you have problems with. Maybe it's people you don't approve of. Maybe it's people uh, you don't think are very high-functioning. And the question is, will you say, God, will you help me love this person? Will you help me speak and act with compassion and truth and courage? God, here's someone who's difficult for me. Here's someone who doesn't know you. God, here's someone, uh, maybe they're far away from me physically, but they're poor and they're needy and I have stuff and you're calling me to love them. This is the will of God for you, to love the people in your life. I hope you're doing well on this test. I hope you're living as a student of Jesus, learning from him how to love, because he's still looking for disciples who are willing to love. Have you ever wondered why God would test you? Maybe the whole thing is troubling, like he's trying to set you up to fail. If God is so patient and full of love and grace, why the need for tests? Well, a test is a situation that God allows in your life to reveal your motivations, character, and commitment to him with the intent to strengthen and mature your faith in him. Think of it this way. You're assigned a project at work that both you and your boss know will be a challenge for you, and there's potential you may not succeed. But your boss isn't giving you the responsibility because she wants you to fail, hopefully, but to know if she can trust you with more based on how you perform this project. The test is an opportunity. The same is true with God. He's not a vengeful boss or a jealous partner who's trying to set you up to fail. From the Garden of Eden where God told Adam and Eve everything was theirs except for one thing, to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and on through the New Testament, the Bible shows a repeated theme of testing. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his epistle, Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So, he continues, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed. Faith grows from testing. It works like a muscle. It gets stronger as it's stretched and strained. Now, you can prepare for tests by spending time with God daily, reading the Bible, engaging in various spiritual disciplines and practices. You see, a test from a good God is an opportunity. And the ultimate goal of the test 
is to surrender to and partner with God in his work. Well, the disciples got the love test. Let's rejoin Matt in the story of this desperate mother and see what her test was. All right, let's go back to Matthew 15. Uh, Jesus makes this statement in verse 26, and he uses very harsh language about dogs. Uh, I believe he does this to force his disciples to face themselves, to give voice to what it is that they've been thinking and feeling privately. Uh, so they have to experience the, the shock of hearing it out loud before this woman. I believe Jesus uses the word dogs for the disciples' sake. You want me to treat all the Gentiles like dogs? Well, here's what it looks like. Uh, Now, this is the hardest part of the test for the woman. Will she run away? I mean, because she could. Uh, She could have decided, you know, this is not worth the effort. Uh, She could have given up. She could have uh, insulted him back. She would have been justified in doing that. Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to talking to me like this? Yet her love for her daughter is so intense. Her trust in Jesus's power to heal is so deep. Her faith in Jesus's compassion is so strong. Her commitment to Jesus as Lord is so unwavering. She can't give up. And her response is unbelievable. Verse 27, yes, it is Lord, she said. So for the third time she speaks to him and for the third time she calls him Lord. Lord, still she calls him her Lord. Yes, it is Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She comes back at Jesus with guts and grace and even wit. Uh, There's an element of playfulness from her. She has a little attitude going on here. You know, come on, Lord. You know, you're still my Lord and master. Go ahead, by all means, feed the kids. But I bet you have a crumb even for me. I know you. She just won't give up. She won't quit. This is what might be called the endurance test. The disciples face the love test. She faces the endurance test. And maybe you're facing an endurance test in your life. Something's going on in your life and maybe it's very difficult. You don't know if you're ever gonna find relief. But it's not just that. What's hardest is that you pray and you plead with God and you don't understand God's response. He seems silent or indifferent or even hostile. I think this is the hardest test. A friend of mine was diagnosed with uh, cancer when he was 45 years old. Uh, He went to college with me. He was one of the groomsmen in my wedding. Uh, He was also a pastor and he served God his whole life. Uh, He was a gifted leader and teacher who had so much potential to do great things for God in this world. And I remember sitting across the table with a close friend of ours, just weeping together when we learned that our friend Ron was not gonna make it. And I remember weeping for his wife and his three children. Uh, His family was his pride and joy. I mean, he was an unbelievable husband and father. How did they go on after that? And why does something like that happen? You know, there's so much I feel I don't know. I only know that in the end, the choice every human being faces is the choice between hope and despair. And Jesus says, choose hope. 
Jesus says, I know my father very well. And my father, father and I say there is a very good reason for choosing hope. So choose hope. You may be facing an endurance test today. I don't know what it is. But the question is, will you keep going? Even when you don't know why. Even when you don't know if or when you will get relief. Even when you don't get answers that could make the pain go away. Will you still say, my Lord, even when his ways are not clear to you? Will you keep going with all the grace and faith that you can muster and live in hope that one day he will set everything right? Will you trust that the Lord is good? I thought of a lot of characters in scripture this week when I thought about this woman. And I'll just mention one. I thought about Jacob. Uh, It's the story in Genesis 32 where he meets a man at a stream and he realizes afterward that it's God. And he says, I met God face to face and lived. He met this man and he wrestled with him all night. And when it was almost daylight, the man said, I have to leave. But Jacob wouldn't quit. He wouldn't quit wrestling. And it says the man reached out and crippled his hip and said, let go. And even at that point, Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. I won't let go. And when the man saw that Jacob wouldn't quit, he blessed him and he gave him a new name. You know what his name was? Israel. Because he said, you have wrestled with God and prevailed. The name Israel means one who wrestles with God. Why does God wrestle with Jacob? Why does he wrestle all night long? I mean, obviously God wouldn't have a problem winning relatively easily. I mean, why does he wrestle with him all night? Why didn't he just give him the blessing? Well, I don't know the whole answer, but I think it has something to do with the fact that God cherishes human beings that persist and persevere and will not give up. God wants his children to endure and wrestle and persevere and refuse to quit. People like the woman in Luke 18 who just keeps banging on the door of the unjust judge and will not give up. People like the man in Luke 11 who keeps pounding on the door of the neighbor, confident that eventually there will be an answer. People who cling to the goodness of God even when there is little they can see clearly. This woman in Matthew 15, do you know what her name was? Her name was Israel one who wrestles with God and prevails. And the disciples who didn't do so well on their little test are watching this encounter with open mouths. I mean, they've never seen someone show so much confidence with Jesus or demonstrate such risk-taking love. When this woman approached Jesus, I mean, they thought they were superior. She was like the spiritual bottom of the barrel. It turns out she is their master in every respect. I mean, she relates to Jesus on a level of understanding and humility and reverence and trust and boldness that puts them to shame. And they look at Jesus. And now finally, I think Jesus turns to face this woman. Now the mask comes off. For a moment, he concealed the goodness of his heart, but he had a purpose. But now that purpose is fulfilled. Now the test is over. And it's time for the grades to be given out. Verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, woman. In the Greek text, there's a single letter first, the letter O. O woman. It's what a person says when their heart is full. Oh, 
And Jesus' heart is full. Maybe his eyes are as well. And he turns to her and he says, wow. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus says, you were my beloved daughter the whole time. You have wrestled with God and prevailed. Oh, woman, great is your faith. He didn't use that word for his disciples. In the earlier passage, you know, Matthew 8, where they flunked the storm test. Do you know how he describes them? He says, you of little faith. Turns out these Jewish men who think they're so righteous are inferior to this Gentile woman who has great faith. And the first turn out to be the last and the last turn out to be the first. It's the way it is in the kingdom of God. This woman who everyone thought was the spiritual bottom is honored by Jesus. She's honored by the one she's persisted with and continued to call Lord. Would you just take a moment during this next song and just talk to God? It may be that there's something you're facing right now that's discouraging you or confusing you or troubling you. Maybe there's some measure of pain in your life and you need to say to him what this woman said to him, Lord, even though I don't understand, I still call you Lord. Maybe you need to tell him that right now. I still call you Lord. I still bend my knee. I'm gonna wrestle with you on this and I'm not giving up, but I still call you Lord. I still trust you and believe in you. Well, let me say a word of prayer for you and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, I pray for those who are facing the love test right now. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. You tell us one of the fruit of the spirits is love. Pray that you'd fill them with your love so that they can love the people in their lives. And God, those who are facing the endurance test, I pray that you would give them the persistence and perseverance they need to make it through whatever trials or struggles they're facing. I pray that now during this song, they would just meet with you and they would call you Lord and they would tell you about their struggle and that you would meet them there. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.